And as it has become our custom, I will now invite everyone, if you are able and willing, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 46, which can be found on page 471 of your pew Bible. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Abeloth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I've categorized this psalm as a psalm of confidence. It has also been known as a psalm of Zion. And I hope to actually squeeze both of these um, categories into this one psalm, and I hope you, you'll see why a little bit later. But I believe this psalm, as a psalm of confidence, better holds it all together. For a psalm of confidence is a psalm that God's people sing as an assurance that we, as God's people, will endure. However often we feel the brokenness and the fallenness of this world in every aspect of our life. This psalm continues to remind us as God's people how we are supposed to live, trusting in God's sovereign power, trusting that he will protect us, protect us as he has promised, trusting that he will sustain us, that he will provide for us, that he will be with us. And in the end, he will triumph. So as we come to Psalm 46 this morning, I want us to see three things, and the length of these are going to be quite different, but there, there are three things that I want us to see this morning. First is the certainty that this psalm gives us. The second is the call. And the third is the comfort. The certainty, the call, and the comfort. Our opening hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was first published in a Protestant hymnal in 1524. It was written by the famous German reformer, named Martin Luther. Children, if you don't know that name, you need to go home and you need to look up Martin Luther. Parents, if you don't know that name, you need to go home and look up Martin Luther. He wrote this hymn, 
a mighty fortress is our God, based on Psalm 64, celebrating the sovereign power of God over all earthly and spiritual forces. These are the lyrics that we sang just a moment ago. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulk worth never failing. A bulk worth refers to a defensive wall, a fortification of the part of the city that people would run into for protection. And this became a true part of Martin Luther's life. For in 1521, he went into the castle of Wartburg because he was being persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church for he did not recant of his 95 theses, which ignited the Protestant Reformation. Psalm 46 was a very real part of his life because he was in this fortified castle for protection. In Psalm 46, this refuge and strength would have referred to the city of Jerusalem, for it was a fortified city with a wall surrounding it. All the agriculture, all the livestock would have been outside the city, and if the city would have been attacked by evil oppressors, everyone would run into the middle of the city and would depend upon its refuge from its enemies. I think the best imagery I could think of for modern day, since we don't have fortified cities anymore, would be that of enduring and experiencing a hurricane. Peak hurricane season in the United States for both coasts falls between August and October. And when a hurricane comes, you really only have two options. The first option is that you can stay where you are, board up your house, and endure the storm. Now, if you do this, there's many things that you need to do. You need to have safety equipment. You need to charge up everything. And I didn't know this until I read this, but you should turn your refrigerators and freezers as low as they go so they hold everything colder throughout the time when you won't have power. You're supposed to gather food. You're supposed to gather important documents. Board it up. Put walls around, hopefully sandbag walls, and just maybe you might endure the storm. The second option is you can leave. You can board up your house, load up everything that you can in your car, and you can get, pardon my French, the heck out of Dodge. You can go seek shelter outside the reach of the storm. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's bad to board up your house and to endure the storm. But the picture I want us to see is that when a force comes upon us, we are called to seek refuge in where we can sustain, where we can endure. We are to seek refuge in a place that we know that we will be safe, not hope that we will be safe. For if you stand in a hurricane, you hope that you might make it because you do not know until it actually comes upon you. What this psalm is telling us is when the storm is coming, flee to your refuge. For that is what a refugee is, a person who is forced to leave somewhere because of a war, persecution, or natural disaster. Refugees flee to a self-place because they know they cannot make it on their own. This is what Psalm 46 is teaching us as God's people to say together, God is our refuge. This is who our God 
is. He is our refuge. He's, he's ours. It is to him that we flee when we are trying to endure. The person who stands out the city when the enemy is coming doesn't understand what God is offering him. They truly don't understand who God is. They don't understand that these big troubles that are coming are far greater than anything that they'll be able to endure. And so the sons of Korah, these Levitical liturgists, they would lead the people of God in their worship in the temple. This is what they are calling the people of God to see. You don't have what it takes to stand upon your own strength. You cannot make it on your own. You cannot endure the countless battles of life. And so the sons of Korah tell us to sing together, reminding each other, God is our refuge. God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Not only does he protect us, not only does he give us strength, but he is our muscle. He is our power. It is because of him that we endure. He is our very present help in trouble. How many of you need to hear that this morning? That he is our refuge. That he is our strength. He is a very present, a very present help when we're in trouble. I experienced this last Thursday night and early Friday morning when we encountered the awesome display of lightning. I told the boys, I woke up about 2 o'clock, and it, it looked like there was an ambulance with white lights outside of our house. The lightning was just spectacular. But I also have a black lab named Leah, and Leah doesn't like the lightning storm or the thunder. And so when I was woken by the thunder and lightning, I also found Leah next to me in bed. And if she had gotten any closer to me, she would have been laying on top of me. This is what this psalm is trying to portray. That storm, you would see the flash and you would hear the, the lightning simultaneously. But Leah, Leah was closer to me than that storm. This is what God is telling his people. However close the trouble is, he is closer. However heavy your burdens are, he is our strength. However close our fear is, he is closer to his people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How many of us take this type of confidence in the God that we call, the God that we call upon and the God that we love? How many of us take this psalm to describe our lives, to describe what we truly believe, because what we truly believe we truly will do 
How many of us, when we find ourselves facing temptation, facing trouble, flee to the God who promises to be with us? Or do we constantly try to withstand the storm on our own? Or do we fear that the Lord actually isn't near us, even though he's promised? Or do we fear that nobody is present with us? Hear what this psalm is proclaiming to you. You are not strong enough to endure. At some point, even though you're trying to hold your life together, at some point you will break. The evils of this world will prevail over you if you do not find refuge in God who is our strength. This psalm is telling us a story that as God's people, this this is who, who we are. As God's people, this is something that we all confess together. We cannot make it on our own. We need help. None of you need me to tell you how hard and difficult life is. But what you might need me to tell you this morning is that God is your refuge and strength and a very present help in all of your times of need. This is our certainty. This is why we can sing, because we are God's people. Therefore, the psalmist says, we will not fear. This is our certainty, that we will not fear in the conflict. This is what verses 2 and 3 describe. They describe this trouble that we see in verse 1. We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. What is the therefore, therefore? To remind us when we will not fear. The earth and the mountains in the ancient times were seen as immovable objects. And so when you see the mountains and the earth being moved, it's this picture of total chaos. Not being able to withstand the natural forces of the shifting sand. But what is the people, what are the people supposed to sing? We will not fear, for God is our refuge and our strength. He is closer than our trouble. He is stronger than anything that might overcome us. He is a bulwark, and he will never fail us. Now, you might see this imagery, this poetic imagery, as nothing more than poetry. But do you remember what Jesus did? In Matthew 8, verses 24 to 26, this is what Jesus really did. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, and so the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep, and his disciples went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. And he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. 
Why are you afraid? Brothers and sisters, we will not fear, for God is our refuge and our strength. Our God has come to us in our trouble. God did not wait for us to see if we could actually board up our house and if we could actually survive through the storm, hoping that we would get through. But God came to us to provide refuge and strength. God came to us as a very present help in our trouble. God came to us and saved us in Jesus. He didn't wait for us to run to him. He came to us because we couldn't do it on our own. He came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Our confidence is in the love that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. Jesus is our certainty. It is because of Jesus that we are able to sing hymns such as, It is well with my soul. It's not anything that you have done or could do. It's not anything that I have done or could do for you. Everything we have is because of the great grace that we have received in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is nearer to you than any trouble that you have. As John Calvin says, as often as any affliction presses upon his people, Jesus comes to them. Yet this certainty is not a life away from calamity. The promise is not comforts, giggles, and rainbows. But it's a promise to support and to provide the means to make it through to the other side. It's because of Jesus. Everyone struggles with storms. But brothers and sisters, what makes us different from the world around us is Jesus. Nothing else. What gives us certainty as God's people, what separates us from the world around us is Jesus. Do you take refuge in Jesus? Do you try to overcome your sin alone, or do you run to Jesus? Do you try to overcome your anxiety and your depression alone, or do you cast them upon Jesus? Do you try to come over, overcome your alcoholism, your financial burdens, your loss of family or friends on your own, or do you run to Jesus? Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our hiding place. It is to him we run when we face our trials and temptations, for he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us to still waters. He restores our soul. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for he is with us. It is through his leading, it's through his presence that we stand firm. It is Jesus who fulfilled this psalm. He is our certainty. When will we not fear? When he is with us. And he is always with us. And then the psalms go into where we will not fear. We see this in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And you might not know this as soon as you read this, but there wasn't a river in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on top of a mountain. There wasn't a river whose streams ran through the city to make it glad. So we must ask ourselves, what are the sons of Korah talking about? What do they mean that there will be a river that runs through the city and makes the city glad? What we must see is that throughout all of scriptures, it is rivers that bring Desolate places, barren places, life. They are not speaking about an earthly river, but this river points to the presence of God sustaining his city, sustaining his people, sustaining his creation. Just like we see in the Garden of Eden, it had a river that ran through it, that flourished it, that made it alive, and that river was a picture of God's presence in his people, unaccompanied by sin. It was God himself that sustains his people. It was the water that came from the rock that Moses struck that provided the needs for the people in the desert. And Paul tells us that rock was Christ. Listen to what Isaiah promised in Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing to your descendants. Listen to this promise of Ezekiel. I will take from you the nations and gather you in all the countries and bring you into my own land. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will pour out my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and your, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This river is the life-giving presence of God that he fulfills in Jesus Christ. This river is an anticipation of the water and the word of Christ. Because it's the gospel. It's the gospel message of Jesus that brings his people life. It's the gospel that brings healing to the broken. It's the gospel that brings nourishment and flourishing to the destitute, the dead. It brings resurrection life. It's the gospel that sustains us as God's people, because it's in the gospel we meet Jesus. It is through the gospel that God provides his people what they cannot do themselves. 
And just as a natural river supplies the needs of the earth, it is through the gospel and the Holy Spirit that God sustains his people, giving them life and making them glad. God always provides for his people their deepest need. And it's through hearing the gospel that we receive the Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls in John 14, our helper. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us and unites us to Christ. It is through the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit that he is poured out. You remember all this imagery in the New Testament? It is the Holy Spirit being poured out like water that gives his people life. It is God the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word that seal upon us all of the benefits of Christ. He is the guarantor of our inheritance. He is the one that brings peace through calamity. And it's through the person and the work of Christ that he pours upon us, pours upon us the person of the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to endure the storm. He binds us together. He brings us shalom. And look at this imagery, this next imagery that we see in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This is where we see these two images come together. The river is bringing God's people gladness and life, flowing into the city of God where God dwells himself. The holy habitation of the Most High. This is what the Old Testament prophets prophesied. God will be in the midst of his people. He will be in his city. He will be where Zion is, and he will dwell with his people, and they shall be his people forever. Do you see that? The river that provides the life is also the river that's in the city where God dwells. This river is the Holy Spirit himself living amongst us. It is Emmanuel, God with us. I can't wait. I, I can't wait. In two weeks, we're going to start our study in the book of Ephesians. And I cannot wait for us to look at how Paul says that God no longer binds himself to one people in one place, but that through the preaching of the gospel and the gift of the Holy Spirit, God is actually building a temple out of us. That God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of each one of us, we are becoming the stones of the temple that he's building together for God to dwell among his people because that is what God has always promised. To bring his people gladness. How? By dwelling in their midst. By removing their sin. By cleansing them from all unrighteousness. By being God to his people. And through us, by through believing and living out the gospel of Christ, he is uniting us together in faith and expanding his city. This Zion, this city of God that's on this mountain, will be expanded and cover the entire globe where all of God's people will find refuge everywhere.
Because it will be a city where God's presence is. And he will be everywhere. And what does the psalmist say about this city? She shall not be moved. It's not just any city. It's not just any church. It's not just any people. But it's a city and a church and a people that have God as the center of everything they do, who sustains their life and gives them strength to endure. So too, the church of Jesus Christ, where the gospel is preached, people will never be moved. For God will help her when the morning dawns. God will help her when the morning dawns. Or it can be translated, when the morning appeared. This phrase comes from Exodus chapter 14, verse 27, where Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The psalmist is recalling to the people of God who sing this psalm, that image, that remembrance of the great salvation that they have received in God in the exodus out of Egypt. God provided his people what they couldn't. God allowed them to come to his refuge by drawing them through the Red Sea. And when the morning appeared, he had redeemed his people. This great act of redemption typified and was only a small glimpse about what God's people now receive in Jesus Christ. This is what this psalm calls us to remember. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God is in the midst of this church. We shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God has helped us at the break of the day on Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, when Jesus redeemed us from all our sin and defeated our enemies that we could not defeat ourselves. We will never be moved. And then the sons of Korah give us a very big contrast in verse 6. There are the nations and the kingdoms that totter, but he who utters his voice, the earth melts. There are those who follow the nations of the world, who follow their own desires, and there's nothing but utter chaos. And there are those who follow the will of God, the voice of God in Jesus Christ, the truth that he has revealed, and before him, the entire earth melts. It is him. There is nothing else. It doesn't depend on how much you believe or how well you believe. It depends upon God and his work, his redemptive work in Jesus Christ. He is our certainty. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord, this covenant name of God, who has bound himself to us in Christ. The God of Jacob, who he never forsook. He never left to his own devices. He will never leave you. He is our shepherd. He is our king. Jesus is our certainty. 
This brings me to my second point. As I said, I'm on the last page. We, we're going to get the last two points in this last page. This is what the psalmist does next. He calls us to see this. Look at verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he brought desolations to the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Come behold what God has done in Christ. That is his call to us. We have this certainty in Christ, and then he reminds us. He calls us. He calls those whom he's already redeemed to behold the works of God and what he has done for us. I'm not one that struggles with anxiety and depression, but I've talked to a lot of people who do. And a lot of times when we talk about anxiety and depression, we talk about how it's hard to see through the darkness, through the haze that it brings. And very often I hear in life experience that it's hard to believe these truths when it seems like the walls are caving in. But this is what I love about this psalm. The psalm does call you to believe something. The psalm does call you to know something, as we're going to see in just a second in verse 10. This psalm does cause you or call you to believe something about God. But it doesn't call you to do it on your own. It calls you to endure within the people of God so that the people of God can sing this hymn for you when you don't have the strength and you can't see the break of the dawn. This hymn calls you to find your trust and to rest upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you can't, he has given you a people to remind you, to point your eyes to the one who has rescued you from the trouble and who is your ever-present help. This psalm has called you to see that God is always faithful to his people. He is unwavering. He is unmovable. And he is very present in your time of trouble and your time of need. Remember God's faithfulness this, this morning. Remember that he who loved us in Christ is working all things together for our good. Remember that though the earth groans and awaits as perfected redemption, he comes to us in our weakness. Jesus is our certainty. The psalmist calls us to see this certainty. And then the psalmist calls us to see our comfort in verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. Typically, we read this psalm and we think that this is, th th there, you, you should see the quotation marks in verse 10. This is God speaking. But typically, we think that this psalm, this verse, is God speaking to his church, but that's not actually what the context shows. The context actually shows that he is speaking to the nations. 
He is speaking to the earth. God is declaring for all the world to know, I will be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. His city will prevail. But here's what's so great about verse 10. We as God's people are listening to him tell the world. And in this passage, we are finding our hope. There is nothing left for us to do. The completed work of Christ sealed the deal. God is coming again. And this is the future glory that we look to. He will triumph. His plan will come to completion. Be still. Be still and know that this God loves you in Jesus Christ. There is nothing to fear. Let us sing with confidence what we have received in Christ, that there will be another river, as Revelation 22 tells us, a new river in the heavens and earth when Zion covers the globe through the proclamation of the gospel, that the Spirit will pour down new life and the kingdom of God will cover the earth. And we have been called to be partakers. There's a very short line, I meant to bring up my hymnal, of um, a mighty fortress. That he will accomplish his redemption, his redemptive plan, his sovereign will. He will accomplish this through us, his people. We have been called to be partakers. To be members of this church, purified by the blood of Christ to be members of the city, to proclaim the gospel so that every knee will bow. And then we come, and I finish with Romans 8. Verse 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am not sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our confidence. God is at work right now. He is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. To the glory of Christ. Amen. Let us pray.